stand for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is it that in what is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, Behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him, and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. God is totally capable of using insecure, unwilling creatures to display his glorious power and to accomplish his redemptive work. God is totally capable of using insecure unwilling, hesitant, questioning creatures to accomplish his glorious, redemptive work. Isn't that really good news? I could sit down. That's, I mean, that's the text, right? 
Moses is an insecure and an unwilling creature. God has glorious power. He displays it in signs of authority, of redemption, of justice. And God promises to accomplish his redemptive work in spite of, not to spite, but in spite of Moses. And for the good of his people and for the good of Moses. That's what we're going to see in our text today. Today's text drops us into the middle of a conversation that Moses is having with God. Moses, as you remember from a few weeks ago, is on the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. He is speaking to God. Specifically, he is speaking to God through a burning bush. A bush that's on fire, but the bush that is not being consumed. God has told Moses, he's going to send Moses back to Pharaoh to be an agent of his redemption, to bring his people out of Egypt, out of their slavery, out of their bondage. God has heard the groaning of his people, and he's sending a redeemer. Now, remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the grace of God that we've seen in Moses' life. From the beginning of Moses' life, Moses has been spared from Pharaoh's wrath. Pharaoh's daughter adopted him like a son. But even in the midst of that, God's grace was evident in Moses' life. We see his, God's preparation of Moses, his, his cultural preparation, his moral preparation, and his heart preparation, his cultural preparation. We saw that Moses was a third culture kid. Remember, for the first few years of his life, he grew up on his mother's knee, hearing about the promises of God, the promises, the covenant of God he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember that? And then he grew up in Pharaoh's court, learning about the literature of Egypt, learning the rhetoric of Pharaoh's court. God had prepared him culturally, but he hadn't just prepared him culturally, he had prepared him Morally, Moses had a heart of, of justice. We read that when he was 40, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This is from Hebrews 11. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses had a moral heart, a heart of justice, a heart that sought to be, to vicariously suffer on behalf of the oppressed, but he did it in a way that was self-confident, that was not tempered by the love of God. So he killed a man and then ran to Midian as a fugitive. He then spent 40 years in heart preparation, being a shepherd, learning what it meant to tend sheep, to lay down your life for other people. So God prepared him culturally, God prepared him morally, God prepared his heart to redeem his people. And yet, we're dropped in the middle of a conversation in which God is downloading this plan of how he's going to send Moses back to the people. And Moses is here arguing with God. He asks, he has five objections for God. We saw two of them last week. We'll see three of them this week. The first objection was in verse, chapter 3, verse 11, when Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? 
couple of verses later, he says, okay, if they ask the people of Israel and, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I tell them? Who are you, God, is his question. Then he says, but, okay, I got you, I, I got who I am, I got, I got your name, but, 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 but they're not going to believe me. They're going to listen to my voice. They're not going to accept me. That's what we see in verse 1 of our text today. They're not going to believe me. In verse 10, we hear Moses saying, I'm not eloquent. I can't talk that good. I don't have talent. I don't have the ability for this thing. And then we see in chapter 13, in verse 13, Moses' real heart, which is just, I don't want to go. Please send someone else. I just don't want to go. So Moses has five objections, and the last one reveals his, his, his heart. Moses has, been, has moved from a self-confidence that took justice in his own hands to a self-non-confidence, an insecurity that has paralyzed him from obedience. Now, what could lead him from being a renegade with a heart for justice and a reckless desire to accomplish God's purposes to being, an, to being insecure, to questioning, to being hesitant, unwilling, ready to bow out of the game altogether. Now, I think this is a relevant question for us. Some of us moved to South Oklahoma City because we got a mission of heart, renegades for justice. I'm after this thing, yo. I want to be down with God. I want to be down with his heart for the poor. I want to be down with his part for those who are downtrodden. I want to lift up those who are broken. I want to repair broken streets, yes? And then it gets difficult. Life gets hard. People are deported or die. The people who you go to vicariously suffer on behalf of say, you're not one of us. You don't know what it takes. Sometimes you just get tired because you haven't slept in a while. And you become insecure and sometimes unwilling to maintain that kind of persistent obedience that God's called us to. And we might think about bowing out. Justice isn't working for me. I might lose confidence in the God who called me. Does this sound familiar? Well, I want to pray that God would also help us to see in Moses' response, Moses' questions and God's response, encouragement for us. So we will steadfastly continue on the road of obedience. You with me? Let's pray. Father, we need to hear from you this morning. I don't know what's going on in everybody's heart, but I know some of them, and I know my own. And Lord, we need a fresh move of your spirit. We need the renewal of the gospel this morning. We need to see Jesus more clearly today than we did yesterday. We need to be reminded of the redemptive power of the gospel. We need to be reminded that Jesus is going to change everything, make everything new, including my heart. So, God, we just ask that you would move today through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we just submit to you. And we just want to go ahead and say yes. 
Whatever you might call us to do today, we just say yes. We want to be obedient to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at these objectives. Look at verse 1. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. Moses, in a sense, says they're not going to accept me, God. And God responds with two signs and a promise of a sign that reveal his authority, reveal his redemptive purposes, and that will reveal, this is beautiful, his righteous vindication of his people. So the first sign, look at verse 2. God asked Moses, what's in your hand? Moses responds, a staff. God says, throw it on the ground. Moses throws it on the ground, and the staff becomes a snake. This isn't just any snake. Moses has to run from this snake. It's a vicious snake. God tells Moses to put out his hand and catch the snake by its tail. Now, I want to pause right here and say, I don't mess with snakes. I've read about people who do, and people who know such things, and they say, if you pick up a snake, don't pick up a snake by its tail. You pick up a snake by its tail, and its head is still able to do whatever snake heads do, which I don't want to think about. He says, they will bite you. I say, don't pick up snakes, period. But those who know such things say, you pick it up, pick it up by its neck. But God tells Moses to pick up the snake by its tail. And notice, Moses doesn't question God in this. Verse 4 says, but the Lord says to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And it says, so he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. Moses has an ordinary staff in his hand. A staff that he's used to, to protect his sheep. A staff that he has used to hike up mountains. And God commands Moses to throw this staff down. And Moses obeys that commandment. And the staff becomes a serpent. A miracle happens. The power of God is displayed. Moses runs from the vicious serpent. God then commands Moses. Everybody say commands. Commands Commands Moses to pick up the snake by the tail. And Moses obeys. Everybody say obeys. obeys. And the servant turns back into a staff. You see what's happening here? God commands Moses. He obeys. Power of God. God commands Moses. He obeys. Power of God. You see this? A miracle happens. God commands, his servant obeys, we see the power of God, and specifically, we see the authority of God. I want to talk about that in two different ways. First of all, in this sign, we see the authority of God over all creation. God created the wood to make the staff. God created the creeping things that crawl on the ground. He has authority in heaven and on earth to do whatever he wants to do. It's one thing for God to make a piece of dead wood sprout with leaves, which he's going to do in number 17. Remember the story? Aaron's Aaron's staff, this staff is going to bud to prove that Aaron is God's man. That's going to happen. But it's a whole different thing to turn a piece of dead wood into a serpent that is alive and that is slithering. Whole different thing. There's the power of God. Both are miracles, but one is a different kind of miracle. The God Moses serves and the God you serve is a God who can turn something dead into something alive. He can change the very nature of a thing. He can make a thing exist and a thing not exist. Just like Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and he fed a multitude, God can make something out of nothing in your life because he is the God who has authority over all of creation. You hear this? Authority over all creation. But not only over all creation, God here also displays authority over the powers of Egypt. 
Theologians have debated the significance of the snake in this story. Some, like Thomas Joseph White, say the snake represented Wadjet. Wadjet was the Egyptian cobra goddess who would be worn on the forehead of the pharaohs as a sign of their sovereignty. Uh, some debate with that. But all would say that in this time there would have been a connection between Egypt and serpents. We can see that in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Psalms, book of Ezekiel. We see um, even Pharaoh called a serpent who's in the middle of the sea. God here displays his authority over the gods of Egypt when he calls Moses to grab the snake by the tail. When the people of Israel see the snake turn back into a staff, they will believe that the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the same God who called Moses and the God who has authority over their oppressors. Okay? This sign is important. God is a preeminent God, the God over all gods. He's the God who's sending Moses. Now, in Jesus Christ, Christian, God has displayed his authority over all creation and his authority over the evil powers in the world. You and I were created as image bearers of God. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, you bear the image. Okay, that's beautiful because it's true. It's true. That image, though, is marred by sin, marred so much that we can't change it. We can't recreate it. We can't transform our nature. But the sovereign God who depends on nothing, the self-existing God, the Lord, Yahweh, became a dependent, was born of a virgin, suffered at the hand of a political figurehead, died a criminal's death to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin. On the third day, what happened? He rose from the dead, displaying his authority over all of creation and over all the powers of sin and evil. Your faith in the risen one is evidence, evidence, evidence. Hebrews 11, your faith in the risen one is evidence of his capacity to make what is dead become alive. If you have trusted in Christ, you have died with Christ. You're dead to sin. And you have been raised with Christ, which means that there is no power, there is no authority, there is no evil that will not be brought into submission to the Lordship of Jesus in your life. He has all authority. All authority. So this sign is a beautiful sign to show God's grace, his mercy, his authority. Not only in Moses' life, but in the life of these people who are right now experiencing injustice. Let's look at the second sign. Continuing. Verse 6. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. He put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Now, again, we see this connection. God commanded, put your hand inside your cloak. Moses obeyed, put his hand inside of his cloak. Saw the power of God. Right? God commanded, put your hand back inside your cloak. Moses obeyed, pulled his hand back outside of his cloak. Or put his hand back inside his cloak, and it was healed. Obedience is connected with power of God. This time we see the redemption of God. Moses puts his hand inside of his cloak. When he pulls it out, it's leprous. Now this word leprous, we don't know exactly what kind of a skin disease this was. We know it was a skin disease. There's all kinds talked about uh, through the Levitical law. Um, we know that it's white like snow, and we know that it's severe enough for the people to believe that God did this. 
Okay, that's what we know about this leprosy. We don't know much more than that. We know that it is Moses' skin turns markedly different from the rest of his flesh. Um, But what we do know with this sign is that God is revealing his power to redeem. Sean Michael Lucas, in his comment on this passage, writes this. He says, as the redeemer, God, he will purify his unclean nation. God is not just seeking to rescue his people. He wants to purify them. He wants to make them holy. He wants to set them apart for himself. His redemption is not just an outward redemption where he frees them from physical slavery. He wants them to live as free people who are not enslaved to any gods, not even the sin that has enslaved them in their own hearts. When we read in Hebrews 14, we see that... The blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, will purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See, the the people of Israel are enslaved to Pharaoh. They're doing works that aren't going to provide for their well-being. Right? When Moses goes back, we're going to see this. He's going to talk to the people. He's going to show them the signs. They're going to believe him. God's going to accomplish what he said he's going to accomplish. He's going to go to Pharaoh. He's going to say, let my, let my people go. But then Pharaoh is going to make life much more difficult for the people of Israel before he lets them go. Right? What we see Jesus doing for us is promising a life that is free from the oppression, the injustice of our world. But the thing is, is that's not the essence of the gospel. The essence of the gospel, as Tim Keller states, is the gospel is the good news that God has accomplished our salvation for us through Christ in order to bring us into a right relationship with him, with God, and eventually to destroy all the results of sin in the world. That will include, friends, doing away with all oppression, all injustice, all impurity. But those are the results of the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died to reconcile you you to God. So all of our works, our righteous deeds, could not earn us a place with God. They couldn't bring us in a right relationship with God. And we're no longer enslaved to those works. Because Christ has already accomplished the work. That is the good work he's done. So now, those of us who have trusted in Jesus are now freed to pursue good works. But that's not to earn our salvation. That's because of our salvation. Right? That's because of our salvation. In this sign of leprosy, God is showing that he alone is the one who can transform that which is sick to that which is well. That which is unclean to that which is clean. That which is impure to that which is pure. And when the people see this, they're going to know that God sent Moses. But there's one more sign. In verse 9, we read this. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now, I love this sign. 
God's going to turn water into blood when it hits the ground. Now, Walter Kaiser has given me some, some insight into this verse that I want to share with you that when you hear it, I think you're going to be pretty excited. He says this, The Nile, which flows with the blood of innocent Hebrew victims. Remember this from chapter 1, verse 22. Pharaoh commanded that every Hebrew boy would be slain and thrown into the Nile. Remember this? The Nile, which flows with the blood of innocent Hebrew victims, will itself witness to its involuntary carnage with this miracle. Will the point of the sign be wasted on any Hebrew or Egyptian? As Abel's blood cried out from the ground, so will cry out the blood of the infants whose lives have been demanded by Pharaoh. That's what Walter Kaiser says. Egypt's mighty God, the Nile, will be destroyed by the power of the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Nile River, deified by the Egyptians, is no match for the power of God, servant Moses. In this way, God shows his hand and hints at what is in store for any, even Pharaoh himself, who chooses to take a recalcitrant stand against Yahweh. What Kaiser is saying is that part of this miracle is reminding the Hebrew people that God sees the carnage. God sees the genocide. God knows the pain. God sees the oppression. When the Egyptians see the Nile, they see a God who sustains them. When God sees the Nile, he sees every baby boy lying at the bottom of that river. The river cannot wash away the blood of those babies. When the sea gives up the dead that's in it, like it's going to say in Revelation 20, it will testify of the heinous crimes committed against the innocent, and God will vindicate them. God sees the blood in the water. You see this? When Moses pours out the blood, pours out the water, and it becomes blood, it is showing the people and showing the Egyptians that, hey, this heinous crime is not gone unseen by God. God is the God who sees and God is the God who will vindicate every act of oppression, every act of injustice, every act of impurity that takes place in our world. This is really good news, friends, because if you go out in the same apartments that I go out into, you see a lot of brokenness and a lot of pain. Some of it's by sin and some of it's just the nature of life. And it may cause us to despair, but the truth is, is that God sees every single tear. God sees every single broken heart, every single broken life, every single broken hair. He sees it all, and he knows it, and he has compassion on it, and one day he will vindicate it. That's really, really good news. So God's signs reveal his authority, they reveal his redemption, and they reveal his righteous vindication, which is coming. Now, verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and of tongue. So Moses moves from looking at them. They're not going to receive me looking at me, right? I'm not good enough. I'm not wise enough. I don't have the talent. I don't have the ability. Some of us can relate to that. God, you call me to go into this neighborhood, but I don't even speak Spanish. You call me to go in this neighborhood, I don't have the right melanin. 
I don't have the right background. I don't have the right experiences. I don't have the right resume. Last time I was here, they rejected me. How do I know I've got enough to make it work this time, right? Do I have the talent? Can I cut it? And Lord reminds him that I am the creator. The redeemer is the creator. The creator is the redeemer. Creation and redemption go hand in hand. The Lord says to him in verse 11, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And the English kind of confuses this. The real statement here is, I am the Lord. Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. What God is saying to Moses is, I knew that before you called, before I called you. I knew not only what your mouth could do, I knew what you thought about your mouth. And what's important is not what you think about your mouth, but what I think about your mouth. Right? What's important, church, is not, about, not what you think about yourself, it's what God thinks about you. And what I read in Ephesians is Ephesians chapter 2, which says that for grace you have been saved, not because of works that you have done, but you are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared specifically for you and you and you, for you to do and to accomplish his purposes. That's what he's done. He said, I made man's mouth. In fact, I'm making mute or deaf. I'm making blind or seeing. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Your excuse is your talent, but I gave you your talent. Your excuse is your weakness, but my power is made perfect in that weakness. That's really good news, y'all. That's really good news. And then in verse 13, we see Moses' final objection. Oh, my Lord, just please send someone else. I just don't want to go. Okay, you answered all my questions. You answered all my objections. I don't don't have anything else to say except I just don't want to go. Now, here, God doesn't give Moses a sign. He doesn't give him a response about who he is. It says that in, in verse 14, it says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Here's the reality that if we keep walking in disobedience, God's discipline is a real thing. His anger is kindled against, God, against Moses, right? There's no small thing. If we keep reading on in the Old Testament, we're going to see the Lord's anger kindled again. It's going to open up the ground and swallow some people. In the New Testament, when, when we see people walking in disobedience to the word of God, we see um, two, people, two people just, just drop dead at the feet of the apostles. So God's anger is not to be toyed with. When God says, go, we... Go, but here's the thing, it is for our good. And even in God's discipline, there is grace. That's what I want to show you. Even in God's discipline, there is grace. His anger is kindled against Moses, but notice the ground doesn't, doesn't open up and swallow Moses. God says, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. <clears throat> what God says to Moses is, your brother can speak. And guess what? He's already on his way. Did you catch that? Let me read that again. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. God had already planned grace before Moses' disobedience. 
God had already planned mercy before Moses' disobedience. God has already planned his grace for you before you fail. God has already planned his mercy for you before you jack stuff up. Which means that you can't jack stuff up. Now, when you see discipline here, Aaron is going to be a Levite. Aaron's going to be the Levite. From Aaron is going to come the priesthood. From Aaron is going to come the sacrificial system. From Aaron is going to come those who can, can worship and, and can feast at the temple. Not Moses, from Aaron. There's discipline here. But even in that discipline, there is grace. Verse 18, you shall speak to him. And put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and teach, and it will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. In other words, you're going to be my, you're still going to be my representative, Moses. If not to the people, then to Aaron. And what we see by the time we get to Exodus 17 is that actually Moses is actually doing a bit of the talking. Quite a bit of it. God has redemptive work still for Moses to do. Moses can't even thwart God's plans. And neither can you. That's the truth. Now, verse 17, I find incredibly powerful and incredibly redemptive. And it makes me just want to worship God. Verse 17 says, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses has objected five times to God's command. Moses has said, they're not going to accept me. And God has said, here's some signs. They're going to accept you. Moses has said, I'm not, I don't have the talent. I'm not eloquent enough. And God said, I made your mouth. I'll be with your mouth. I'll even be, I'll even be, I'll even be with Aaron's mouth. We're good. Moses has said, I just don't want to go, Lord. And God said, I'm going to send you a substitute. In my discipline, there is grace, but you're still going to go. And then God is gracious enough to say, and I'm still going to give you my staff. The one you just saw be transformed into a snake. The one who you're going to set out on the shore and the Red Sea is going to part. The one that's going to hit the rock and water is going to come spewing out. The one you're going to hold up over the army and when it's up, your people are going to win. And when it's down, they're going to lose. I still have gracious purposes for you. I've still got a gift for you that I want you to use to accomplish the good purposes I have for you. God is like abounding in grace. Not only did he not take Moses' responsibility fully, but he gave him responsibility and gave him a staff so he could see the signs. Moses, God has grace not only for the people, but for Moses too. God is trying to move Moses and is moving Moses from a self-confidence through a self-non-confidence to a God-confidence. If Moses just has a self-confidence, he's going to take matters in his own hand, going to jack stuff up. If Moses has a non-confidence, he's not going to be fully used. He's going to be insecure. not going to be walking in the power that he has through a relationship with God. 
But if Moses walks in God confidence, redemption, liberation, freedom is going to be poured out, not just for him, but for his people. Right? That's what God has for, for us. That's what Jesus did for us. Now, I see in this last half of this passage just a, a reflection of Jesus. Isn't it so often, I can ask you to raise your hands, I'm not going to do that, because I, I, I know a little bit about what's in your heart. I know what's in my heart, is that there have been times, maybe even this past week, maybe even this morning, in which God has said, do this, and we say, I, mm. But did you know about, I don't think you're considering, it could be move into this neighborhood. It could be take this job. It could be make this decision. It could be love in spite of. And we want to say, but you don't know what they did. You don't know, you don't know what, what they did to me. You don't know what I have to offer. You don't know what I'm bringing to the table. You don't know what they've said about me. And if we continue in that disobedience, what happened to Moses is that the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. But here's the thing is that God already knew we were going to fail before we did. He already knew our heart's inclination before we did. And his heart is, is, his anger is kindled against that disobedience. But, but guess what? The one who came and learned obedience through what he suffered, who never disobeyed the words of God, he suffered and died on your behalf and on my behalf, died, was buried, put into a tomb, and came back to life. He was the perfect substitute in our insufficiency. None of us had the capacity to overcome our own sin. None of us had the capacity to overcome death. None of us had the capacity to heal our own hearts. We all needed an Aaron. And Jesus was the perfect Aaron who came as a substitute for us. Who came and took our place. So that we could still get the staff of God and see the power of God manifest in and through our lives. Isn't that glorious? If you came here today with doubts about whether God was enough. Let me just tell you, and I'm just going to agree with the scripture, is that he is. And if you don't believe it, talk to your neighbor. Because he may be believing it today, and you may be doubting it today, and tomorrow he may be doubting it, you may be believing it, but we need to encourage each other, church, because God is enough for us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Jesus has called us to himself, has given us good work to do. And even if we're not... We don't feel like we have the talent to do it. He has already planned to sustain us. He's a sufficient God. So, if you don't know this God, I encourage you today, give your heart to Jesus. Because apart from him, you are insufficient. You can't heal yourself. But with him, oh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is a word that we need to hear and we need to like sit in, friends. I just, I'm grateful for you. I know that I've watched you encourage each other with encourage each other with encourage each other with this. So I just give you another tool on your tool belt. Reflect on Exodus four, and encourage each other. The road is hard of obedience, but you know what? It is worth it because we have a God who will vindicate us in His righteousness. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, you are the all sufficient God.
the preeminent God, the self-existing God, who needs nothing. I thank you for this season of Lent in which we're reminded of our frailty. We're reminded that we came from dust. And we're reminded, though, that when you breathe on dust, life happens. So, God, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that is, trans- that is transforming us more into the image of your Son. I pray for all of us that struggle with disobedience and struggle with questioning and struggle with hesitation that, Lord, you would, would just remind us that you, you already have grace waiting to catch us when we fail. And it won't thwart your purposes. You're going to use that. And you're even going to encourage us and others through it. We just, I just thank you for this word today. Help us to walk in the grace of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.